0: Tell you? I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Mm-hmm. Hello, everyone, and
1: welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you want to contact the show, you can call us at 844 999 9249, or you can email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. Before we even get started, I have to thank my repeat guest, Sandy Rosen. Sandy, how are you today? I'm doing great, thanks, Rabbi. How are you? Good. I mean, I'm glad we we got the temperature up for sure in the studio. But outside, nice 60-degree rainy weather, which you brought back from the Caribbean. That was Uh, very kind of you. It's it's this glow. It's the glow. Uh, Yeah. The glow would do it. The glow would do it. The Caribbean. So what do you do in the Caribbean? Clearly, I've been there like a lot of times.
2: Well, there's rum. Uh, Oh, no, no, we shouldn't talk about that. Oh, okay. But there's uh, boating and relaxing and snorkeling and uh, lots of uh, beach time. Relaxing. Sorry, I I, uh, don't want to rub it in, but... It's good stuff. It's
1: good stuff. No, no, I, I am happy that you enjoyed and thank you. Hard to imagine I'll, I'll make it down there one day, but you never know. You never know. You never know. I keep trying to go up north during the winter. I haven't figured out yet to go to warm places, but I'm working on it.
2: You know, there's a synagogue in uh, Saint Thomas. They say it's the um, longest uh, continuous service synagogue in the Western Hemisphere, or something. Really? I, like. I don't. Know. I, I may be misstating the exact uh, statistic, but uh, but there's a conservative synagogue operating in Saint Thomas.
1: That's amazing. I I I recently with the sand floor. Really? Yes. What a floor! A sand floor, and but regular chairs. You got to sit like on a beach towel.
2: <laughs> Nope, no, nope, no nope. regular uh, and I believe the uh Bema is in the middle, but I can't recall it's been a while since I was there,
1: so if it's in the middle, that's generally speaking that's orthodox, okay. if it's moved all the way up front, like right up to the arc, that's usually conservative sure reform. So again, I can't tell you what kind of place it is, but the likelihood is, if the beam is in the middle, that was an old that that is old. I, wanna, I don't want to say old-fashioned, but that's really an traditional, Orthodox right. traditional style. Where the beam would go right i think that's the way it was but uh like i said, I wasn't there this trip but uh i think that's what's there it's really neat may that be a reason for you to get down there that would be fun to dive in, in a place where i guess i take my shoes off and and uh, dig them in the sand just imagining it sounds uh, sounds fun there's actually a lot of uh, laws that have changed over time because we're our floors are solid instead of sand they did a lot of stuff on the Sabbath and stuff, they have to smooth out their floors, and uh, we don't do that, smoothing out floors anymore. We have wood floors, stone floors, tile floors. But that is that is fascinating, a regular dirt floor. And it's not like an advertisement, please help us, we don't have enough money, build no. our floor. No, no. cool. Before we get into this week's Torah portion, lots of interesting stuff, different kinds of stuff. I figured I had to bring it up because it's, it's very, very in the news right now. And that is the the tuition scandal. Are you familiar with the tuition scandal? To some extent.
2: You know, I avoid the news because a lot of it is... Uh is a waste of time and energy, but I, I have to admit that I
1: find this entertaining. Yes, this is very entertaining. Again, I don't have all the details, but clearly there's a bunch of very wealthy people that hired a person who's since admitted to his guilt of bribery, of bribing uh, athletic I don't know, it's directors or coaches or, or admission people and playing with the tests. Now, really, really, this has been going on forever. But usually what happens is if you're a wealthy person, and we're talking about high-end, elite Ivy League schools, so just the way the schools are set up, most of those schools are from very, very wealthy, probably blue blood, but very wealthy families, and they all want to get in. So this one has a building named after this one, and this one builds a sports stadium, and this one uh, takes care of fields, and then the dean says, uh, this family is on my list, what they call it legacy. They're, right. they're going through that with, sure. with Harvard. So, uh, you know, I'm in a school. I'm a director of development, and I think if somebody offered me, you know, a couple million dollars, and he wants me to take care of his child, and assuming the child would not be a bad influence, we could take that. Right.
2: I don't see why not. But uh, I, I think it's another story between your school
1: and you know, the Ivy League schools. Yeah, they have more money than we do. As well as one thing, yes. And we also have a a, well our parent body is not on their level of wealth. And certainly we're looking for different types of things that our children and our students and stuff than these Ivy League schools. It's just interesting all the stuff that's going on. I just thought it's just a it's almost like a laughable story. Because if you're an athlete, we're also gonna let you in. Right. right. So if you're wealthy, we're letting you in. If you're an athlete, we're letting you in. We find other ways because I can't hold a, whatever it is, 4.04 grade average to get into your school. We find ways.
2: Right. Well, there's just too many of these. I think there's just too many people that are trying to get into these schools. And there's only so many buildings that can be built. There are only so many spots on the sports team. You know what I mean? And so uh, the overflow, people have to compete for those leftover spots or create
1: spots. All right, but at least it's entertaining. Better this entertaining news than other stuff that I just turn off or change the channel or find something else to read.
2: It's just the the ridiculousness I think that makes it entertaining, and and, but really it's sad.
1: Yeah, probably the end of the day, it's it's sad. We'll see. We'll see if it blows up. If it uh, moves on, who knows? Certainly, be interesting. Who knows? Anyways, so we got to talk. This is the we are now beginning the third book of the Torah. It is called in Hebrew, Vayikra, which means, and he called, we'll talk about that word. The, I guess, Latin word is Leviticus. Um, and the, you know, it's interesting, the book of Genesis is the creation of the world. The book of Exodus is the creation of the Jewish people. This book, the book of Leviticus, the, or the, or the book of Vayikra, is, is really packed full of commandments, As we haven't had that many laws, rules, and regulations, and now that we ended up building the tabernacle, right, the predecessor to the temple, so we got to teach the priests what to do, what's a sacrifice, how to bring a sacrifice, when you bring a sacrifice. This whole book, the, the bulk of it, are laws that refer to the priestly, the Kohen families, now, I don't remember from last time. Are you a Kohen, a priest? No. no, then you don't got to worry about it. In class, I make fun of the kids. We joke.
2: My dad was and my grandfather, but not me. Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, Absolutely uh, really no know
1: one know, gets that uh, joke. You know care, that, right? I told you this one time. Did I tell you this joke? I told you one time, there was a, a man went to his rabbi in Toronto. If we had the same conversation, you can remind me. I didn't listen to the last one. Guy goes to his rabbi in Toronto and says, Rabbi, I want to be a priest. I want to be a Kohen. The rabbi says, come on, John, we, we don't do this. Rabbi, $10,000, I write you a check right now. So the rabbi thinks, and he says, okay, we can do it. Then he says, Saturday night, we're going to have a whole party, inauguration, we'll take care of it. So they go through the whole process, whatever the rabbi does, I don't know, sprinkles one water on it, whatever. Afterwards, the guy writes, John writes the rabbi a check. So the rabbi says, John, tell me. Why is it so important for you to be a priest? So John says, Rabbi, my father was a priest. My grandfather yeah. was a priest. I want to be oh, yeah. a priest. There you have it. Okay, fine. Good joke. For everybody else listening. Where's the laugh track? Uh, yeah. No, we, we don't have those yet. Oh, okay. For everyone else paying attention, I'm missing it. Um, to be a priest, it depends on your father. It's a, it's the father's lineage. If the father's a priest, you're a priest. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't uh, study and take a test to get in. You're there in or out. So I tell the boys, because I have like three of them in my class, that their fathers are Kohanim, my priests, and I say, you know, you're supposed to know this stuff, right? Because this applies to you. To me, it's not as important, but, but you got to know this. So I'll make fun. How come you don't know it? And they'll say, oh, I didn't learn it yet, and I didn't know I have to know it. You, you, you know, you kibitz with them. They learn something that way. But before we get going, the first word is really the, the focus word. And that is this Vayikra. So Vayikra means, and he called. The God called to Moses to come into the temple, into the tabernacle area. God's going to talk to Moses. So first of all, you have to know the word is a beautiful word. It's a very beautiful way of of calling to someone. It's not the normal, and he said, and he spoke. It's a a word that actually means love. Moses was uncomfortable with this beautiful word, because it's going to be written in the Torah first word of this, uh, of this book, say, so to God, uh, which is a funny conversation. Let's take off the last letter. Instead of Vayikra, we'll use the word Vayikar. Vayikar also means to call. It's the same letters except for the last letter, Aleph, but it's a very cold word. It, it because you take the Aleph off, it loses its warmth. And instead of being a beautiful way of calling somebody, it's really a, a very cold way. God says, it's not happening. Right? I am not referring to you in a cold manner. So the compromise is they made the last letter they made small. So if you get called up to the Torah this week and you look that that first line of this book, you see the first one, two, three, the first four letters are big. It's a teeny little last letter. That way Moses says it's not like full and God says it's there and everybody's happy. So, that's his famous little letter. I can only try to imagine this conversation, God and Moses.
2: Yeah. I picture God saying, just write down what I you know." I am writing what, what, what,
1: what are you, my editor? Yeah, pretty much, right? Now, you was supposed to be writing letter for letter, word for word, and you're busy arguing with me. I told you what to write. Just write it and be done with it. So, it's interesting. This word is only used three times in calling to Moses. First time, by the burning bush. He's called by the burning bush. He is called—I know I wrote it down. You mean the same word? Yeah, by yeah, Ukraine. He calls yeah. him by the burning bush. He calls them up to Mount Sinai when they're getting the Torah. Yeah. And he calls him here. So the question is, like, what's special about these three times? So they're Do they all have the small olive no. or just this one? Okay. No, because this one becomes the special one. Okay. And, uh, yeah, Moses didn't even ask on the other two. This one he knows is a special one because he's being called to go take the Jewish people out of Egypt. Okay, you call me for a job. You know I don't want the job. You're talking to me nicely. You call me, right? Like, imagine. Right? And if you call to an employee and you ask for a favor, you a relative, you need something, you're going to talk very nicely when you know. It's like
2: my kids would say, Daddy... You know, it's a, that's not, hey, dad.
1: It's, you know, and when they want something, it's a different tone, right? Does it work? Uh, of course. Of course it works. See, that's a good thing. Yeah. Right? That way understand what's going on. So, by the burning bush, nice calling, friendly, I'm asking for something that you don't want to do. Even receiving the Torah was probably quite scary. God's there, thunder, lightning, shaking, smoke, yeah. Yeah, getting the 10 tablets, a lot of work climbing ten up the mountain, you know. I mean, there's up and down. It's not a major mountain. It's not like it's not mountain climbing, but it's a it's a mountain, but okay. not major. This time, this calling is different. this This time is being called basically that now you have to transmit all the laws I'm going to give you over the next. It will be the next forty years or thirty eight and a half years, and you're going to be responsible to take care of the Jewish people and build them up into the nation they become. This is a hard job. For this job already, this is a very special calling, and Moses understands it's a special calling. And again, it's a job that uh, he didn't ask for, but now that he's been doing it, it's not like he can like back out and say, "Okay, you know, I've been, it's been fun. I'm ready to retire and go to the Caribbean, yeah, get somebody else, yeah, put, yeah uh, put out an ad." Yeah, not happening. No, not happening. The funny thing is, there were people that wanted the job, right? sure. and yeah. they and they were willing to fight Moses over it. And Moses had to fight because God said it's your job. I actually had that once when I was in a school in Israel. I had, I had a job calling people up to the Torah, and I was uh, a school in Israel, and it was like a, it was like an international school: Americans, English, South African, Swiss, Israel, different areas. And there were always issues who I called up to the Torah, like, oh, you called your friend, you called this guy, you didn't call that guy. So I went to the rabbi and I said, what do I need this for? Right, this is the last thing I want. I, if people aren't happy, I'm very happy to step down. So what does he say to me? No, you must keep the job. That's why I want you to have the job, because you don't want it. So there you have it. So, nice trying though. It was, it was a very good try. It was yeah. a very, very good try. So we're going to get to a few things where we talk about actual sacrifices, which then we'll, we'll really get into it. But there's an interesting word. So God calls to Moses, and he says, when a man, a very interesting word, Adam, right? The first man is Adam. So the word Adam means man. The standard word for man in the Torah might be ish which also means man, Adam is almost never used. Right. It's used when we refer to the first man as Adam or Adam, and it's used by the sacrifices. It says when a man will bring a sacrifice. So the, the Talmud talks about why the change of words. Like, this is not the usual word. So we learn all kinds of laws from it. The simple learning is God has no interest in a, in a sacrifice that was stolen Right? If you think you're doing God a favor by stealing somebody's cow and bringing it for a sacrifice, God has no use for that. What does he need it for? All right. Right? So It's not really much of a sacrifice at that much, point, uh, you know? Especially the word sacrifice with a dual meaning, 100%. Right? No good. So, But here's what we learn out. We learn out from the word Adam or Adam that just like the first man didn't have to steal to bring a sacrifice, obviously, because... There ain't nobody else. He owns everything. You have to be the same way. You're also not allowed to steal. It's a very interesting way of figuring something out because Adam couldn't steal because it just wasn't practical. No one would steal from, yeah. Yeah, no one would from. But we learn it out. The next lesson we get, the next lesson is the word Adam is like all-inclusive. It's like a universal word. And it's not just Jewish people as the the concept of bringing sacrifices. The tabernacle obviously was blocked off in the world because they had all those clouds. But when we get to the temple, so the temple was really open season to everybody. Anybody was allowed to come to the temple and bring a sacrifice. It was open. So the Torah is saying anybody can come. We're gonna see to become closer to God. We're gonna talk about this word sacrifice, the Hebrew word for sacrifice, but anybody could come. And there was a a very fascinating uh, prayer The King Solomon said to God when he dedicated the temple. And it was the tabernacles built by Moses and the Jewish people in the desert. We go into the land of Israel. That's the time of the judges, about 360 years. And then um, King David wants to build a temple. God says, no, his son builds a temple. He makes the following request of God. He says... You know, when Jewish people are going to make sacrifices and they need something, they want something, they're asking for something, you do agree, you don't agree, you want to give, you don't want to give, no problem. But uh, the Jewish people understand God's allowed to say no. But if somebody comes from a faraway country and he's traveled and he's and he's not Jewish and he, he he's bringing a sacrifice, if you don't say yes to whatever he's requesting God, he's not going to understand. He's going to say, yeah, just another one of those idols. Therefore, Solomon says— a non Jew who brings a sacrifice, God, you gotta do whatever he asks for. And, you know, the sad part is, you would hope that everybody would have figured that out, but of course they didn't. But here's my music. We're gonna get more into sacrifice when we come back. I'm joined by Sandy Rose, and you're listening to Drive by Tree on Les Torah. and we'll be right back. Welcome back to
2: Pop That Culture. That's the horror movie. (laughs) Bury the phone in the fat cemetery. It's
1: got a cord. (laughs) I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier.
0: (laughs) I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? detroit
1: it's the home of some of the world's most talented artists it's where techno and motown were born it's a city where you can experience raw untamed rock and roll i'm ben rose and i'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from four to five for the motor city Juke joint i'll have interviews with musicians info on what's going on around town and a playlist curated by me just for you it's all right here on
0: NewRadioMedia.com. Can that itch be caused by stress? Now, we already know that stress can increase your odds of everything from colds to cancer. And now there's new research to suggest that stress can also make you itch. You see, it seems clear that stress activity is the immune system of mice making them itch, and the experts say the same is probably true for humans. The study from the University of Medicine in Berlin and McMaster University in Canada found that stress can exacerbate skin disease by increasing the number of immune cells in the skin. Now, these immune cells are believed responsible for initiating and perpetuating skin diseases that can make you itch. The report in the American Journal of Pathology indicates that doctors were able to prevent stress induced increases in white blood cells in the skin by blocking the function of the proteins that attract these immune cells to the skin in the first place. Now, more work is certain to come in this area of research. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman.
1: And we're back! So I rush through those last few words and tell you a funny story. So I study with my fourth grader every night. And it's like extracurricular, extra stuff, and he gets points and stuff for studying. And he's supposed to say the text and translate it, and I listen. If he doesn't know, I help him. Um, So we finish. He was about a half an hour. And um, when we're finished, he's all upset. I said, what happened? You were in a rush. You are in a rush because you kept saying all the answers. You didn't give me a chance. I said, now, it happens to be possible I may have been in a rush, but not such a rush. Um, I, said, I said, you know, usually when I study with adults, there's a give and take. You say a few words. I say a few words. I interrupt you. You interrupt me. It's a pretty standard. But in his mind, he's supposed to say every word. If he gets stuck, he says he doesn't know, I'm allowed to answer. But if I don't give him a chance, I must be in a rush. So it's an amazing w- what a child focuses and says, this is not the w-. I mean, at least he's honest with me. Like, tell me straight, instead of being upset and not telling me, so that's fantastic. For sure. But but just the idea of children that, that, if a parent is in a rush when they're dealing with the child, it makes them very nervous. So I told him, I said, I'm not in a rush. I said, if it happens again, just tell me. I said, I, I meant it because we're like studying back and forth, but if you think I'm in a rush, I'll I'll immediately slow down and and I've done it to him sometimes, where I was planning to go somewhere, let's say 8:30 at night, and he wanted another 15 minutes. He got another 15 minutes. So uh, very uh, yeah. Talk well, about children over there. You need
2: feedback sometimes. Yeah.
1: No, I always need feedback. Otherwise, I never figure it out. But uh, we guess. And we do the best we could, and sometimes they help us, and sometimes not, and wherever life life takes us. So, ending that, that Solomon said that whenever someone brings a sacrifice, anyone who's not Jewish—in other words, a Jewish person who lives in Israel—he understands God could say yes, God could say no, but a non-Jew might not understand that. Therefore, King Solomon says you got to answer all their prayers. So, just imagine if the if the world at large knew. That whenever they brought a sacrifice, God was going to listen, right? Can you imagine what, what would have happened in the temple? But what would you imagine? I'll tell you what I imagine. What would you imagine? I think they would be pretty booked. Oh, that's for sure, yes. Oh, okay. Weeks out, lines out the door, probably. Yeah. yeah. But i tell you what I imagine. I imagine that there would be this international guard you know, surrounding Jerusalem, Right? In other words, you're not touching my temple, because whenever I need something, I-, uh, I go over and take care of it, right? this this is this is uh, we got to protect this place. Yeah, the golden goose, yeah. Not only that, imagine what would happen. There's a Jew up north, and he's farming. And it's holiday season, and really, he should be going to the temple, but he's got to take care of his farm. So, the non-Jew says, what are you doing here? You sh- Aren't you supposed to be at your temple now? Because it's very important, because when I bring my sacrifice, God listens to me. Oh, you know, I am busy this week. I couldn't make it. Don't be busy. You go. I'll take care of your farm. I'll guard your farm. It would have been a very different kind of world, right, not letting anybody come in and attack the the Temple Mount, because it, it would be a, a universal... Resource. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you need some, Any king needs something. He said, ah, bring me a sacrifice. God will take care of me. Okay, they're making a war. I'm not sure who wins. That's a problem. But, uh, okay, that, I'm sure... God would figure it out, but it didn't become a problem, right? Okay, so, but let's, let's get a little bit into sacrifices. If I asked you, and we talked a little bit during the break, what is the purpose of a sacrifice? What would you say?
2: I don't know. I, I would say it's a, a demonstration of, of love and appreciation.
1: Excellent. Because what you didn't say like, you know, the, the old idolatry type stuff, they all believed that the God needed a sacrifice. Mm. Again, the God needs to eat, God needs to whatever. Their gods needed sacrifices. But this much, I'm very happy, right? You clearly know that that is not the purpose of a sacrifice. Now, I'll tell you the word. The word is fascinating. The Hebrew word is karbon. Right. Karbon. Right. The root of karbon is Karav you familiar with karav? I know you know some Hebrew, but not this one. No. Karav means to come close, because the purpose of the sacrifice was to bring Kerov, me— Karov, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. karov. Okay, yeah, so I yeah. put the stress on the wrong part. No oh, problem. that's
2: right. Yeah, I'm, uh, it's okay. Okay, Got good.
1: Yeah. Right? So, karov means to come close. So, the purpose of the sacrifice, slash now karbun is to bring me closer to God. Right. So, I would go to the temple, and we were talking before— and you would see daily miracles in the temple. Like which ones did you tell me before?
2: Uh, that uh, the people were crowded shoulder to shoulder, but when it came time to prostrate themselves, there was plenty of room. Right on the no, high holidays, there was the kippur. No, no, no flies and no smell. No, no flies, no, no smell. The blood wasn't knee deep. Right. Well, they had. The, I don't know how they did that. Yeah, they they oh, actually
1: had like that wasn't canals. That was a miracle. That was
2: okay. They had to. Yeah. That much sewage. Say, okay. Yeah,
1: they had their, their plumbing, and yeah, they were pretty good about that. You came That's there, you saw okay. the. That could be a miracle. I mean, you know. All right. Well, let, a let it be a Anyway, okay. I accept that could be a miracle. They had to go somewhere. I, it does say the pottery actually sunk into the ground. Well, yeah, because you got all these pots and pans that you're using, like it's piling up. Where's it going? So there were the 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 mission says there were ten miracles. There were really more. It just depends what counts, what doesn't count. But um, anybody who went there felt the presence of God. That was how you became close. Oh, one more the the Go ahead. The,
2: the, the number, the sheer number of sacrifices that were occurring. Couldn't possibly be done in the amount of time that you were there. So in the course of a day, if each one takes so many minutes, they they would you know what would be done in a day might be might be a year's worth or something.
1: Right. And even on top, it says the altar burnt these stuff up like whatever super really fast. Right. I, I don't know if it was flash burning, but it it disintegrated everything. It was yes, it was an amazing process to be there, to experience it, to feel it. You you came back rejuvenated. You felt. I just got close to God. I mean, what what else could I ask for? So that's, but what's interesting is there's a few different types of sacrifices. So the shlumim, for the word shalom, which means peace, not pieces, right? But P A C. Yeah. I I told the boy in my class, I said it's called. Full. um, Yeah, it could also be full. So I said it's a peace. P-E-A-C-E, sacrifice, because the the altar gets some, the priest gets some, and the owner gets some. So everybody gets a piece. So he's a little confused. He says, yeah, but that piece is spelled differently. I said, yeah, it's a good play on words in English, but that's not what the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word doesn't mean pieces. The Hebrew word means shalom is Peace. And it did cause peace, and it really did more than that, because I I gave my class an example this week. Imagine you want to thank God. He's been good to you, family, kids, business, vacation. So if you're you're a man of means, so you're going to bring a big cow, big, humongous cow. You're going to bring it in, and you're going to say, why you are bringing it? And the priest will say, great, and they're going to slaughter it, and they're going to cut it up. And you're going to have this side of beef, or two sides of beef, and you only have— that day that night and the next day to eat it now that's a problem even if you have a large family right i mean you can only make so many hamburgers and so yeah. many steaks so you have no choice you must invite everybody you're going to put signs up all over town which probably everybody did i mean catering must have been a big uh, oh, yeah. a big deal in those days cuz everybody has a catering hall everybody brings their sacrifice and everybody says open season as long as you're pure Um, Please come. Please eat. And everyone's going to come and they're going to say, wow, so beautiful. Thanks for the steak. Why did you bring this sacrifice? Right? And you're going to say, God did this for me. God did that for me. God took care of me. I'm thanking God. So the whole process was a a friendship-type process. I'm bringing people in. I'm feeding them. I'm making everybody happy. And over and over and over again, I'm saying how good God was to me. That's one kind of sacrifice. There's another kind of sacrifice, um, and it's almost all, um, not all, but many of the sacrifices were when somebody did something wrong. Right, I sinned, so it's it's a Im- cleansing it's sacrifice. A, very good. Yeah. They're cleansing. Almost all called a Khatas or an ola or an asham. There's a whole list of them. But I, I was paying attention this week. It's very interesting. In other words, if you go ahead. And you decided, I don't know, for whatever crazy reason, today I believe in this idol. Today I want to murder somebody. Today I want to, I don't know, I just want to eat pork today. I have those days. Not
2: not the pork, but uh, anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting.
1: Are you talking about the bombing idol or killing somebody? Got, or killing uh, uh, somebody? Let's,
2: yeah, let's just change the subject there. Right?
1: Change the subject. You know, well, In a
2: way, it's like bringing flowers to your wife. You know what I mean? Sometimes you bring flowers because she, you appreciate what a lovely, you know, that she keeps a nice house, takes care of the children. Other times you're in a doghouse because you were out playing cards with the boys. You know what I mean? And so, so bringing flowers home is kind of like bringing a sacrifice to God.
1: Right. I do know what you mean. When, we, when I first moved out to Detroit, so... I took my wife away from her family, so visit once in a while, without fail. And I'm talking 25 years ago, 22 years ago, when we would come back, not happy. Oh, why do we live here? I'm away from my family. I, it's every time. Go to the flower place. Go bring flowers. Oh, you brought me flowers. That's so nice. I feel so much better. The joke is that it got to the point where I always brought the wrong flowers. If I brought roses, she wanted lilies. If I, I went to lilies, she wanted a different flower. So finally we decided, if you want flowers, just go buy them. Because <laughs> I get all the wrong flowers. Anyways, so but it's, it's interesting to think about. And uh, when we come back from the break, we'll have to think about it again. Um, y- you can only bring a sacrifice when you did a sin by mistake. Either you didn't know the law or you didn't realize. But if, if it was intentional when you did the sin... You cannot bring a sacrifice. There is no sacrifice for intentional sins. So it's a very interesting way, in other words, all these sacrifices to get me close to God, which most people say, okay, it was a mistake, you didn't know, you didn't realize, next time you'll be better. And all of a sudden, right, we're saying, no, no, even if you do it by mistake, it's a big deal. You should have studied more, you should have asked your rabbi, you should have known. So that's what we need to get closer for. The stuff on purpose that you toast for, and that's again the real repentance, which we'll talk about. I'm joined by Sandy Rosen. We're going to be back Hold through the break, and we'll talk more sacrifices. I'll tell you what happened. Yay, Morty. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David
0: Yost, the original blue Power Ranger.
1: Nobody promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm gonna pull out my crossbow. All
0: right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Plus, the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market. All by the push of a button, Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Surfing the Internet can be good for your brain, especially if you're getting up there in years. UCLA scientists say that the internet searching helps to stimulate your brain function by triggering centers in your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. In a study to be published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry, the researchers say that using the internet to seek out new information might stimulate the brain enough to sustain brain health and your cognitive ability. Before the computer age, the one activity that was linked to an active mind was solving crossword puzzles. The fact that even simple tasks like searching the Internet might enhance your brain circuitry suggests that our brains are really sensitive to mental exercise and actually continue to learn as we grow older. So using an Internet search engine such as Google produces the same brain activities as reading, but it also increases activity in areas of your brain that control decision-making and complex reasoning. With another Prescription for Your Health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman.
1: And we're back and time is flying. And Sandy wants to talk a little Purim, but we're gonna we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. Don't worry. But an important sacrifice to talk about is the flower sacrifice. In other words, we talked animals. We talked. No, you mean flour, the grain, not oh, the Oh, right, flour. not the flour. Yeah. Before, right? you like not, not giving flowers to your wife, right? Okay. F-L-O-U-R. Right. I get to practice my spelling. Right. Two-tenths of a
2: measure. And a Sometimes
1: two-tenths. Some, this okay. happened to be one-tenth. Oh, okay. So what happens is it's, it's expected that a man of means will bring larger animals because he can afford it. Somebody who's not as wealthy, maybe a smaller animal. Somebody who's poor will actually bring birds, but not chickens. There were birds that would actually fit in your hand. I think it's called a turtle dove or, a, or something like that. And uh, what's interesting was somebody was poor who brought that little bird, um, they actually burnt it with the feathers, even though feathers have a horrible smell when they're burnt. And that, it doesn't say that there was a miracle that you didn't have the bad smell. That you smelled. So the question is, why do we want the feathers on that bird? Because God likes the smell. Well, that's maybe, maybe I don't know. Uh, I mean, he does say it's all a pleasant smell. That's true, but uh, but if we know it's a bad smell, so like, why does God want this happening in His temple where we're all holding our noses? Like, why does He want that?
2: Yeah, I don't know. You got me on that one.
1: Okay, good. I I tell my kids Stump in class. Stump the Trump. I would never say that. I tell my kids in class all the time. I say, if you know all the answers, then I'm going to be out of a job. So it's okay if you don't know the answer. That'd be great. I mean, I could put my feet up on the desk, have another kid stand there, and uh, who would know? Your your work would be done. My work would be done. Work is never done. Never done, but all good stuff. Anyways, so one of the reasons is, if you would take the feathers off this teeny little bird that fits in your hand, it would be so scrawny, there's nothing there. So it would be embarrassing. So, to not embarrass the poor person, we make it look a little bigger than it really is. We're not lying. Right. It's it, This is its size. It just looks more presentable. Okay. Right. Everybody knows with caterers, it's all, it's all in the presentation, the right. food for the most part. But it, it helps preserve the person's dignity to some extent. Yes. Okay. So, now we get to the really poor person. The poorest person will bring flour, F-L-O-U-R, to not confuse our roses and lilies, So he's going to bring that flower sacrifice, and the the Torah, again, uses a fascinating word to describe the person bringing it. Instead of saying a man, or like we said before, Adam, Adam. now it says nefesh. A soul. Very good. It says a soul will bring flower, a flower sacrifice, and you could—there's oil, and there's some spices, and you could make it—it's always matzah. It's never bread. It's, it could be uh, deep fried or lightly fried or baked or plain flour. You have all kinds of options. So the question is, why does the Torah refer to it as a soul who brings? It's a person like everybody else. You want to give it a shot? Um, no, I am I don't have anything good for you Okay, so I, I probably say this all the time Because I, I, I appreciate just I know this. the answer, but I want to give you the pleasure of teaching No, you, I'm just kidding You are so nice I'm to so, me I'm See, so full is, of baloney That's why I'm going to bring you back again Because you're so nice to me But in any case um, The poor guy If he's so poor that he can't afford a bird So where to get money for flour So what he did was He didn't eat for a day Or two. Or he didn't have supper for three or four days. And he kept putting aside a little bit more, a little bit more. Now I got enough. So this guy is giving his soul. He's giving his life. He's a guy that when he brings a sacrifice, it's not just, okay, there's money in the bank account. I spent my money in the bank account. This is a guy who's giving up supper. If you're willing to give up supper for a sacrifice, so now it becomes a soul who brings a sacrifice. A really very good lesson when we talk about charity, which... I think we'll, we'll run into that first. I will trying try to get the Purim. I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, but nowadays, we don't have sacrifices. Right? There's no temple. You can't go to your backyard. I mean, you could, but it's not a sacrifice. Um, so there's no sacrificing. There's no animals. There's no priests. There's no temple. So what do I do nowadays? God, I did something wrong. I want to repent, but I can't bring a sacrifice. So what could I do?
2: Uh, teshuvah,
1: Tadaka. Cool. Uh, and what's the third one? Fila, Fila, Thank you. That one's important. So charity always works. Right. Charity works. Prayer works. Repentance works. It's just harder. Right. right? This was a little bit of an easier way out. Again, it's not a freebie. Right. right? And we already said it's only when you did something by mistake. Right. But it's real. And I was, I got to do something real and a little bit. I got to embarrass myself. And when I'm walking in with the cow that we're all sharing— Everybody knows that's a thank you sacrifice. Right. When I'm walking with a sacrifice, that I'm not going out with any pieces. So for sure, the priest working with me, right? Oh, so why are you bringing this? Yeah. Oh, you know, I'd rather not say. <laughs> well, then we'd rather not bring it, right? Because we got to know if you're bringing the right one for the right reason. We got to make sure you're repenting, right? That was a process in repentance. And interesting enough, there's a fourth way, and that is. Um, I can actually study the laws of sacrifices. Oh. If I study the laws of sacrifices, so God says, you know, you're, you're talking about sacrifices, I look at it like you brought a sacrifice. So we had to make sure we wrapped up our sacrifices. So you said, we're talking about prayer, and one prayer is answered, and you said something fascinating. I'm glad you knew about Purim. What did you tell me before about praying on Purim? I thought that um, that
2: Purim was a time that God can't refuse your prayers, uh, you know, kind of like the uh, you know, like in the Godfather, the Godfather's daughter's wedding. You know, the, he can't refuse any requests, but I think
1: I was maybe exaggerating a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure it's exactly like the Godfather on that part. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, it says that Purim is a day that's good for prayer, and it's more—I don't know exactly what this means—more open in other words, it, there's a better chance. You may not have to work as hard right. to get God to accept prayers, but it's not an automatic. Because Purim itself is a day. That's the holiday coming up. Purim is a day that we survived because of our prayer. Right. In other words, once the decree came out to annihilate the Jewish people, so Mordechai says to Esther, "Go to the king." Right. right? And Esther, first you, of course, does want to do it. Right. And do it. But uh, but what do you know? What she tells Mordecai to do before she goes to the king? Yeah, but put on sackcloth and sit in the ashes and,
2: fast. and pray. I'll, I'll Fa- pray. Fast and for
1: three pray. days and pray. Yeah, she fasts. Right. In other words, she's not going to go to the king until everybody's prayed. If the whole country is praying and all the Jewish people are praying, I got a chance. Right. that we will be successful. And, yeah, she but, wanted to get some assistance from upstairs. Yeah, or, or everything from upstairs, that, which we'll talk about in the next show. But, um, yeah, so she understood it's all prayer. So since their prayers were answered, and she was successful, and Haman eventually is executed, so obviously prayers were answered. Anytime prayers were answered, that becomes a good time to pray. Now, there's a little bit of a difficulty on what I just told you, because in the calendar, it doesn't work. The story of Esther being successful, believe it or not, takes place on Passover— It was 11 months later. 11 months later, the actual, uh, not civil war, but the war of Purim took place. But we already prayed 11 months earlier. So it wasn't the Purim day that our prayers were answered. It was at a different date. But since the outcome of the prayers, I guess, becomes the Purim holiday, so it makes sense to say that that's the day that's a good day for prayer. But it's an interesting like, it's just a little bit off on which day the prayers are working and not working. So, I have a few minutes left over here in this. Yeah, go ahead. But we can still pray on Passover, too. You can always pray. Prayer is always good. Okay. Always accepted. As somebody uh, said to me recently, your prayers are always accepted. But it's like a parent. You ask your parents for something, they listen to you. Right. And sometimes we say no. Right. Like my daughter going shopping. Yeah. And it's an everyday discussion. Oh, I, you know, I didn't realize I needed this, but now that I see it, I really need uh, one. Oh yeah. So sometimes you say no, sometimes you say yes. Sometimes they come home with it and say, maybe you should just return this because it was on my credit card. And yeah. If you ever try this with your kids, you know, I think you, I think it's good for you to buy this jacket. Um, we'll split it. And as soon as you say we'll split it, right? Okay, I I don't know if I really need it. Let me think about
2: it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, when uh, when it's free, it just certainly changes the decision-making process.
1: Easily. So there's an interesting idea about sacrifices. So who paid for the public sacrifice. You know, every day, there's two public sacrifices. On the Sabbath, on holidays, there's sacrifices. So, who paid for all this? The, the temple didn't have fundraisers like me. So, who did... No raffles did... or
2: anything. Well, so, I mean, you, you you gave me a hint, so I can't take credit for knowing the answer, but there
1: was a collection, right? Sure. The collection actually was a small coin. It was actually a half coin. So, we we do the same thing nowadays. We give a half coin to show it, that there was once a half coin given it was also used to for a census and it was only men by the way men 20 and over would give this half coin or called a half shekel this is the top half um, you know it doesn't know. say oh, which okay. half it was yeah, it. but thank you for that one um that was so good. I completely was, lost my train of thought. Excellent. It was, no, I love that. Worth it. No, it was okay. It's fine. The men so, over twenty. Men would... over twenty. If they wanted, they could give for the children, if it the wives. But that was it. Was demanded from the men over twenty, and that collection raised enough money for public sacrifice for the year. And any leftovers, they would fix up the temple, or fix up the city of Jerusalem, or the roads, or any other maintenance they needed. That was a fundraiser. So there's merit to giving that charity every year. That small amount of charity also has merit. So Haman says to Achishverish, he says, I want to give you 10,000 loaves of silver, which by